Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to another exciting edition of the Peristyle Podcast, a Trojan Blast recruiting podcast with our very own Gerard Martinez going to join us on the line talking USC football recruiting. No one knows more about what's going on in the world of USC high school football recruiting than Gerard Martinez. He's joining us now. You can follow him on Twitter at GMartLive. What's up, GMart? How you doing? I'm doing good. Long time no talk on the Peristyle Podcast. Yeah, it's been, well, we've been doing about one a month or so. Uh, yeah, so we need to talk a little more. I was out of town for a couple of weeks. We're going to try to do another one uh, down in Australia. But I'm back now. We did our regular podcast. We're coming back. Kind of a surprise recruiting podcast. Uh, some people have asked for it, but we didn't tell anyone on the regular podcast. We were going to sneak one in there, but we got to bring Gerard on and uh, talk some USC football recruiting. It's always fun. It would be a surprise if uh, we were to do a recruiting podcast without me. I would be surprised at that. You would be surprised. I would be surprised, too. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, well, we might as well jump right into things. Uh, we have one voicemail question and a bunch of written questions. So some of the big news I think we're going to get to first. We've got a lot of this stuff, and we do have an international question. So I'm going to start with that. He's like a big fan of the show. Really keeps me updated here in Denmark. Nothing better than listening to the podcast while I walk the dog. Well, that's great. It's glad to know someone in Denmark is listening to the podcast. He wants to hear what's going on with Eddie Vanderdose. Uh, rumor says he's now reconsidering his commitment to Notre Dame. Is USC in the mix again? And would Notre Dame allow him to transfer to USC? Put some parentheses. Remember Amir Carlisle. If so, how is the scholarship situation? Does SC have room for him on the roster? That's from Jacob in Denmark. I'm not going to pronounce his last name because it has got a couple dots over one of the, the vowels. But it's Jacob in Denmark. He's Danish, eh? He's Danish. He's uh, from the home of Lars Ark. Hey, um, they kind of the, the 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 Danes have a little bit of a almost kind of like a, a Canadian, Canadian kind of thing going on sometimes uh, when they speak English. Um, the thing with Eddie Vanderdose, to my knowledge, this is the latest and this is kind of the summation of what's going on with Eddie Vanderdose. Evidently, Eddie Vanderdose has some cold feet about going to Notre Dame. There's been a lot of speculation as to why he may not want to follow through with his letter of intent to Notre Dame. Some people have brought up grades. His dad denied that being an issue, said that uh, there was no academic issues, there was no character issues. He would not specify as to what the actual issue was, however, uh, and that was uh, just a report that came through on the SAC B uh, a couple nights ago. Um, there was also some talk that he was upset because Notre Dame announced that he was going to sign with them before Eddie Vanderdose himself announced that on signing day. Eddie Vanderdose had a press conference type deal um, that day on signing day, which was like at 6 p.m. And uh, I guess uh, Notre Dame had put out his name on their uh, letter of intent um, signing day list, like at you know noon or a, a little bit afternoon. And so there was some type of issue with that, and he felt like you know Notre Dame had kind of lied to him. And 
I personally just don't believe that. I just cannot believe that. If that is true, that's the biggest character red flag that I've ever seen of a recruit in my life. And I just don't think that's true. Um, I think there has to be more to it. And, and it just may be that he doesn't want to leave home now and just is having second thoughts. Uh, he was very close to uh, committing to, to UCLA throughout the process. Um, his off-season trainer there in Auburn, um, uh, California, is uh, very close with the defensive line coach at UCLA, uh, Angus McClure. And so there's a real relationship that has uh, really been there for, for quite a number of years. And so UCLA was always a big player for him. And from what I hear, that's really the school that he would consider, um, not USC. Uh, to my knowledge, I don't know that USC is, uh, is really in the running here. That's uh, really a school that's even being considered. I think it's probably more UCLA versus Notre Dame. And will Notre Dame let him out of his letter of intent? And that kind of takes us to another story, which has been developing over uh, really the past three, four months. And we're probably going to have a lot of questions about that. So I'm kind of let Ryan go ahead and uh, kind of make that segue. Uh, are we going to have some Matthew Thomas questions here? We do. Uh, we do. Have, well, Justin, I sent in a few questions, but one it was pretty simple. Any updates on Matthew Thomas? Well, I talked to three sources, uh, two sources last night, one source earlier today. And the Matthew Thomas thing, I think first and foremost, it's important to, to really state this is not something that's just happened. This is not like the Eddie Vanderdose situation where all of a sudden, you know, there's rumors about him having cold feet have, have started and all of a sudden he wants out of his letter of intent. Um, now just, uh, you know, a, a really probably a few weeks before he's supposed to, you know, head out to South Bend. With Matthew Thomas, this was an issue that was really apparent on signing day when he announced for Florida State, had no Florida State hat on, <laughs> looked very uncomfortable, looked uh, like he really wasn't happy with that situation. And at that point in time when he made the announcement, we were under the impression and had some pretty good information that he was going to commit to USC. Now, granted, these things happen. Sometimes kids say they're going to go to a school, and then, you know, down at crunch time, they decide, oh, I'm going to stay home. And, and they're fine with it, and they go with it, and that's the decision that they make. But then afterwards, Matthew Thomas did not sign his letter of intent and fax it to Florida State right away. I mean, he committed probably 9 o'clock in the morning or something, and it was, you know, 5, 6 o'clock at night, and people are still waiting for him to actually sign his letter of intent and fax it into Florida State. That's when we started hearing there was some issues there. There was some things going on behind the scenes at Booker T High School with his family and that he really didn't want to go to Florida State, that it was really something that, you know, his mom felt more comfortable with Florida State because he had a brother that was living in Tallahassee, and then his brother was kind of coming in towards the end and kind of pushing him to Florida State too. And at the end, he relented, and he decided to go ahead, sign his letter of intent, and fax it into Florida State. He thought and publicly stated I really didn't want to go to Florida State, but it was what my family wanted, and that's who I want to live with, and I have to have a relationship with my mom. So, you know, it's cool. Hopefully I'll kind of grow into it. But he didn't. And we were hearing throughout the process after signing day from people in Miami that were close to that situation 
he was not happy with that decision. And the decision wasn't growing on him. It wasn't all of a sudden, yeah, you know, Florida State, they got Jalen Ramsey, they got, you know, a good signing class, they had a good year. And you start to kind of, you know, oh, okay, I can kind of feel it now. And maybe, yeah, I didn't like it at first. But over time, you start to uh, think about the decision and, and it becomes maybe a better decision in your own head. It wasn't he was still kind of disgruntled over kind of being pushed into that situation and pressured in that situation. And as time went further and it became closer and closer to the point where he has to go to Florida State, he became more and more desperate and uh, from people we talked to, really more resentful over having to make this decision and being forced to go somewhere he didn't want to go. So, but it's a process of, you know, you kind of has to be, you have to kind of stay away from it to some extent because, you know, Matthew Thomas has to make that decision to call Florida state and say, listen, I want out of my letter of intent because this, this, and this, and that happened. He called Florida state and told them that. And shortly after, uh, probably three weeks after, uh, the, the Miami Herald actually put out a story on it. And it, 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 you know, publicly stated, basically, again, he did not want to go to Florida State. And so this is something that, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, well, you know, maybe these other schools are tampering with him and they're still recruiting him after signing day. His, his, his decision, his own mindset has never really changed. Nobody's had to really talk him into anything. He's never really wanted to go to Florida State. And it was quite the opposite where people were trying to kind of talk him into going to Florida State, that that would be a better decision for him. Um, there's a lot of layers to this situation. There's a lot of layers to this, this what's happening with him and, and the people that are involved. His mom is in Haiti. Uh, to my knowledge, she's not back in the United States. Somebody was claiming otherwise. Uh, I talked to a source just the other night. I was given the impression she still was not back in the United States. Um, he, his brother, uh, I'm not sure if he's in Tallahassee still or not, but evidently he's a part of the process as well. Um, he has reached out to Florida State a couple times, said that uh, you know he, he really doesn't want to go to Florida State and he doesn't see himself uh, enrolling there. Florida State has been pretty upfront and pretty uh, adamant at this point that he needs to follow through on his letter of intent, that they were not going to release him from his letter of intent. And basically, from what I understand, the first conversation they had, they basically told him to go pound sand. So it was not necessarily the most pleasant conversation. And there's been a lot of um, implications and a lot of things said that uh, the people around the situation feel like Florida State has kind of tried to bully him in a little bit to going ahead and enrolling and, and you know putting some things in there in his head maybe that are not necessarily totally true uh, that would kind of force his hand into saying, okay, I'm just going to go to Florida State because it's the best thing for me. In terms of eligibility and how he would have to sit out and all this kind of stuff, and there's a lot of nuance to that. You know, as far as signing a letter of intent and 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 not being released from it, and then having your options and and what that does for your for your scholarship and and how you're you know able to play and when you're able to play, it's complicated. Um, I'm certainly not a compliance guy. We're still trying to kind of figure it all out. From my understanding, from reading the literature on the NLI website, that a national letter of intent is, you know, obviously a binding agreement. It's not like a verbal commitment. It's a binding agreement. And with that binding agreement, it's with all four-year schools. So every school that's a university, that's a four-year school, if you do not follow through on your letter of intent, there is a penalty for it. And that penalty is to sit out uh, a, a full year. Uh, you're, you're 
three semesters or your two semesters, depending on a quarter system or um, or a, a semester system, um, you, you set out the quarters or the semesters as a full resident at that four-year school. If you go to a prep school, if you go to a junior college, then that that penalty doesn't start. It doesn't start until you're a part of that next four-year college that you enroll. So what it would mean for USC or Georgia or South Carolina, some of these schools that uh, are options beyond Florida State for Matthew Thomas, um, he would probably be best directly transferring to the school and just taking his red shirt, burning his red shirt, and using that for his year that he sits out and then playing as a red shirt freshman. That, to my knowledge right now, seems like what would happen and probably would be the best route for him. I have been told by other people, and, and I just, again, I don't know how well they are versed on the whole eligibility issue. And, you know, we've been through this many times with sanctions and these things. You know, we get we – get, Somebody that tells us one thing and they're very confident of it, and all of a sudden that thing changes because somebody, you know, starts to read the compliance rules a little finer in detail. Um, so, you know, we're still, like I said, it's a little, a little bit uh, in flux, a little bit our understanding of it. Uh, but I have been told by other people that he could just go and pay his way to junior college for a semester um, and then go ahead and and enroll or, or two semesters and then go ahead and not be a full-time student and then turn around and enroll at a four-year school and not have to burn his redshirt year. He'd still be sitting out, but he wouldn't have to burn his redshirt. Um, to me, quite frankly, honestly, I think a guy of Matthew Thomas's talent, I'd say burn his redshirt sitting a year and then have him play that redshirt year because you want to get him right in your school. You don't want him going to JC and then becoming a recruit again. You know, as, yeah. a, as, a, as a full qualifier, that's going to be a circus in and of itself. I think it would be best for just to him to go from Florida State, and if he's going to be able to get out of his letter of intent or not, go right into the next college, the next four-year college that he wants to attempt. And you could practice so, and do all those things. So, I mean, that's not a bad bad option. Yeah, and but there's just a lot of nuance. You know, there was some talk and some reports that he had recommitted to Florida State, and that was last week, and that it was all done committed to Florida State, he's going to go to Florida State, it's all done. From what I understand, there's just a lot of posturing from Florida State right now just for the fan base. Um, it, it doesn't seem like this thing has is, is seen its end yet. And the people that I talk to that are pretty close to the situation and pretty close to Matthew, they – and there's a lot of off-record stuff, and, and people just don't want to get on record talking about it because it's uh, – you know, Florida State and the people in Miami and in and, and recruiting circles, you know, there has to be a relationship there going forward. And so there's a lot at stake here and, and, and not necessarily a whole lot to gain other than Matthew Thomas's happiness. And so, you know, people don't want to say too much on record and want, don't want to say too much about what's going on. But um, I, I think it's definitely one of those things where uh, it, it, it has not seen its end yet. And we're going to probably it, it, we're going to have to wait and see really when his mom gets back in to the picture and that becomes that conversation where she's able to either talk to Florida State, you know, eye to eye, and talk to her son eye to eye and see, you know, just how serious uh, he is about going somewhere else. And then that process will move forward from there. A lot of what people are saying is that the direction of this thing has not changed necessarily. He hasn't recommitted. Um, he hasn't, uh, you know, really gone away from his feelings of, uh, I, I quote unquote, being miserable is actually what I was told just uh, the other day. So that tells me that, um, you know, this, this is a story that's continuing to evolve. And like I said, there's a lot of different moving parts to it. All right. Well, that's a, uh... That's our podcast, everyone. Thanks That's, for showing. That's a complicated <laughs> Thanks situation. for listening. 
But now you should be up to date on what's going on with the Matthew Thomas saga. Uh, let's go to our buddy JD in DC. He has a voicemail question. So let's uh, play that one. Here you go, Gerard. Gerard, uh, JD from DC, question about 2014 running back prospects. It looks like we're getting clarity early in the recruiting cycle at this position, at least, with all the early commits of the uh, top backs. It appears we're after Freeman, Mixon, maybe Starks. Racy and Thomas is from uh, Alabama, and the whole SEC is after him. Uh, so I'm not seeing him as a real uh, likely prospect. What is your assessment of these three backs in terms of their abilities and USC's uh, ability to recruit them for next year? Well, truth be told, I don't necessarily see quite the clarity that JD sees. Um, you know, it's, I think there's still uh, some complexity here to, to figuring out who goes where. The two top backs on the board right now for USC are obviously uh, Royce Freeman and Joe Mixon. You know, Joe Mixon's now a five-star. Uh, he's going to be, or he is already a national recruit, and Royce Freeman is pretty much a national recruit to that extent as well. Uh, but I think um, the level of intensity for uh, Joe Mixon's recruitment is, is going to be uh, a bit of a spectacle. Um, so the clarity thing, I, I don't know if we can say that yet. I think that um, obviously those are the two guys that are top at USC's board and then both being in California, that gives you a better sense as to who USC is aiming for. Um, who they get, it remains to be seen. Royce Freeman definitely likes USC. He likes USC probably more than he's willing to talk about right now. Um, I think he's you know kind of keeping cool on that, uh, but he's definitely been a guy that um, since last year has, has, has been eager to get that USC scholarship offer and had that as an option. Um, I think Oregon is going to be a big player for him as well. He's going to go up there and he's going to camp June 18th at Oregon and it's going to be interesting to see if, if he decides to make an early decision that would definitely play more towards Oregon's advantage than USC. As we said time and time again with USC, you know, the season is going to recruit itself. There's going to be a lot of impact as to how USC plays and what happens with the coaching staff. And we can get wound up about what's happening now in May and June and September and October, but once November rolls around and we get into late November and there starts to be real clarity as to what's going to happen with the coaching staff and what's going to happen uh, with the future of the program, that in itself is going to make or break a lot of recruitments. So Joe Mixon right at the top. I think right now, I think he likes USC, but USC is not necessarily the biggest player for him. I think the uncertainty with the coaches, and there's just a lot going on where I don't see, I could say USC is going to be a leader for him right now. Um, that may happen later down the line. Uh, it may not. I mean, obviously, the signing of Justin Davis, another Northern California running back, who I, I think is going to be a very, very good player for USC. Uh, we'll see what happens with Ty Isaac when he comes in. He's another big running back, a guy that uh, kind of, you know, you look at Joe Mixon, a guy that's 6'2", 210 pounds, and you look at, uh, you know, Ty Isaac, who's 6'3", probably 230 pounds. Um, you, you, you look at those guys and you look at the competition. Is Joe Mixon ready to come in and compete with two guys who kind of do what he does? Um, as a running back. For me, Royce Freeman is a little more prototypical running back and fills a different spot. And I think because he likes USC growing up more, I think there's more of a possibility that he comes around and ends up at USC. 
even an early commitment to Oregon uh, or to another school, I kind of get the vibe having talked to Royce. I was the first person to ever write on Royce Freeman. I think that there's that inherent interest and kind of childhood, um, you know, favoritism towards USC that even if there was something to happen down the line and maybe there was a new coaching staff that that would drum up interest with him again as well. So it's a lot of wait and see clarity. Like I said, you do have those two guys at the top of the prospect board, but um, you're still kind of waiting to see if, if those guys can fall in the USC's lap or if USC, you know, there's some changes that all of a sudden it makes them a bigger player for that, or they strike out on both guys and they have to go to another option. And that's a possibility as well. I mean, when you sign two guys that are four-star, five-star the year before, sometimes you're forced in a situation where you have to look at a guy that's a little more under the radar. We just haven't necessarily seen that target pop up yet. And we probably wouldn't until later in the season if USC doesn't feel like they're going to be in the good position for Mixon or Freeman, then you see another guy start to develop because he has a big year. That tends to be what happens with running backs um, when you find guys that are more under the radar. All right. Uh, let's go on. Melvin had a question. He wanted to get an update. There was some information came out this week about Delvon Simmons, if you want to share any light, shed some light on that. Delvon Simmons, who's uh, 6'4", 290 pound defensive tackle, uh, transferring from Texas Tech. He was actually uh, a guy that uh, USC recruited pretty hard coming out of high school. And, um, you know, he's going to transfer from Texas Tech. Obviously, with Texas Tech, they're having a different coaching change here. Um, so he's feeling like, you know, he wants to go somewhere else and strike out new. He did visit USC uh, this past weekend. Um, hasn't been much in terms of contact with him. Uh, you know, I haven't talked to him really since he was a recruit. <laughs> and also all the contact numbers and everything I had for him are pretty much burned at this point. Uh, so we're still trying to kind of get some direct contact with him and, and figure out what he's looking at um, with the process. Really not much more than that other than he likes California. Um, you know, he liked USC back when he was coming out of high school uh, out of Pittsburgh. And um, he still likes USC, obviously, and um, has some relationships there with Ed Ergeron and some of those coaches. And so, uh, I mean, USC is definitely a player for him. People are, are very curious as to where he would fit in with that defensive front. You know, USC's defensive front right now, the 5-2 is kind of this oddity, and everybody wants to know how it changes and how recruiting changes with it. Uh, from what I remember of Delon Simmons coming out of high school, he was really more of a three technique in a four three system, which would make him more of a defensive end in USC's new five two system. So I don't think he's a guy that's the same as Eddie Vanderdose, who's more of a one shade. Um, he's really uh, Delvon Simmons, probably a better comparison to Leonard Williams. Uh, he's more of that kind of player. Not as long as, uh, as Williams is, really not as athletic from a pass rush standpoint, um, but definitely more of a you know one-gap uh, pass rusher trying to attack the offensive backfield than he is just a stout run stopper. All right. Uh, let's see. We have Theo. He wants to know, what, what is USC, why is USC ignoring Greg Hoyt? He seems like a raw but solid player with tremendous upside. And why doesn't Michael Lazarus have an offer yet either? So a couple of guys that Theo wants to know have not been offered yet. Uh, two solid players, but I think there's guys that are higher on the board, uh, guys that they feel that are more talented. Um, you know, I can't speak directly for USC, so I don't know 
what the the details and specifics are as to their evaluations. Um, you know, I've seen both players a, a few times in person. I think the Lazarus uh, a little stiffer, um, you know, athletic guy, but more athletic when he's kind of north and south. But when you have to try to get him in space and he starts to you know to have to move in a coverage standpoint, he's a little shaky, and that's maybe something that they're looking at. Um, I think with Hoyt, he is young, and I think he's a guy that's definitely going to develop down the line. But you have yet to see that, and there's other players that I think that they feel like are just ahead of him in terms of being uh, a middle linebacker, an inside linebacker type, because that's really probably more where he would end up playing. Um, but, you know, it's, a, it's something that, like I said, I think with this front and when they actually start to play games, that's going to – there's going to be maybe uh, – how should I put it? Uh, some epiphanies um, as to who they want and what really fits the system. Because you have to understand, you know, the majority of the coaches at USC right now have never run or been a part of a 3-4 variant system. Mike Eckler, the linebacker coach, not a 3-4 guy. He's a 4-3 guy. Ed uh, Erdron, not a 3-4 guy, a 4-3 guy. And you listen to them talk and they say, well, it's really not that different than the 4-3 under that we ran with P and we had the elephant and this, that, and the other. It is different, I think. And I think the differences are going to start to show even more as you get into the season and you have to start to play these guys. Now you have Devon Kennard and Morgan Breslin playing outside linebacker. Those guys had their hands down playing defensive end in the 4-3 system. Now you have those guys standing up. So now you start to see, well, okay, we have those guys, 6'4", 260, 250. This is what we want. You know, we'd like to get away from that or wait. You know, these guys, this is exactly what we want. We have to get bigger guys. So that's what we're going to recruit more. What about our inside guys? Are our inside guys too small for this system? You know, we've got Anthony Sorrow. We've got, uh, yeah, you, um, who's the other Mike, uh, Mike linebacker? Uh, I'm blanking. Oh, uh, Lamar Dawson. Yeah. We've got those guys. You know, do those guys fit what they want? Can they keep recruiting guys like that because they work for the 5-2? Or all of a sudden you're going to go, uh, no, we got to get smaller, more stouter guys. We need to get guys like Derek Calhoun. We need to get guys like our Hayes Puller. We need to get guys that are shorter, that can be 240 pounds, and can play inside and take on blocks better. Right now we've got guys that are sideline to sideline guys that are better for the 4-3. I, I think some of that is gonna, it's going to happen when you start playing other teams and you start lining up and then you realize, wow, we can't stop Stanford like this, or wow, we really good against Stanford like this, but we're terrible against Arizona State like this, or whatever happens. You know, that, I think, is going to be – there's going to be some, like I said, epiphanies from that in terms of player personnel and recruiting, and that could change some things. And where a guy like Great Hoyt, all of a sudden they go, you know what, that's a great player for us. We didn't think it was when we were doing spring ball and we were playing against each other, but now we line up against so-and-so, Oregon State, we need that kind. We need more depth at that position, so that's what we're going to go after. All right. Let's see. I keep on the same line of guys that – don't have offers yet. This is from Jason in Long Beach. He says he's a big USC fan, listens to the podcast every single week. Well, thank you, Jason. And get pumped. Well, I'm glad you get pumped. We make it exciting. Uh, he, he gets pumped listening about Trojan football. So there's a couple Arizona prospects and a California prospect. He wanted to know why uh, they haven't been recruited hard by USC. First, uh, wide receiver Mark Andrews uh, from Desert Mountain. Second is offensive tackle Andrew Mike from Sabino High School. And then uh, defensive end Quaylen Cunningham from Hamilton. Oh, and he also mentions uh, Anu Tua uh, from Lompoc. I, I don't know how you say his name, but defensive tackle. Well, uh, actually, two of those guys have scholarship offers from USC, verbal scholarship offers, oh. Mark Andrews and Quaylen Cunningham. 
the level of the recruitment, I don't see USC going after them super hard right now, uh, but they are being recruited. Um, it's early in their recruitments. I don't get the, the sense necessarily that either of those guys are looking to make early decisions right now. Um, the question with Mark Andrews is that, you know, he's 6'5", 6'6", 225 pounds. Is he a wideout or is he a tight end? Um, you know, USC has now offered a couple scholarships to tight ends, uh, Dayton Schultz and uh, or Dalton Schultz and um, uh, Bryce Dixon, uh, the tight end from Ventura San, uh, St. Bonaventure High School. And so that's kind of a little bit of an interesting thing now. And you're, you're saying, okay, they, they seem to want a tight end in this class. And so, you know, is Mark Andrews a, a, is a real receiver or is he a guy that fits in more as a tight end for USC? Uh, Quillen Cunningham, another guy that's kind of that hybrid guy that, you know, in a 4-3 system, you put his hand down, you put him at weak side. But for USC, you probably see him as an outside linebacker. He's only about 6-3, maybe 230 pounds. Um, so those two guys are being recruited. You know, how hard they're being recruited is, yeah, I, I don't see them, you know, necessarily as really high up on the food chain when it comes to, uh, you know, the target list. Uh, granted, they haven't necessarily been overtly, you know, gushing about USC either. Again, you know, we talk about this and it's ad nauseum, but the uncertainty there, I think a lot of people are waiting to see when it comes to USC and, and just what's going to happen this season. Uh, Andrew Mike actually claimed a scholarship offer last week. I know USC was there to see him in person. Tommy Robinson uh, evaluated it. I don't think he actually has a, a real scholarship offer, but he's a guy that's on the target list, and they're looking at a possible uh, offensive tackle for USC. I think there's some other guys ahead of him, guys like uh, Damian Mama, who might be a little bit of a right tackle, but probably more of a guard, but he is so... I think good. I think he's just so dominant, even being a guard, that if USC feels comfortable with, uh, you know, Jordan Poland being an offensive tackle, and Jordan Poland's about 6'6", 330 pounds, um, maybe there's a Juco offensive tackle that they bring in. Um, it's kind of interesting to see what's going to happen with the offensive line recruiting. I, I keep thinking, you know, they're going to go after more numbers in this class, but, you know, three is, is what I still hear from people and the high school coaches when, uh, you know, the, the USC coaches are there on campus talking about what they want and what they need. I kind of think at the end of the day they probably take three high school guys and maybe try to sneak in an offensive tackle from the JUCO ranks uh, as a mid-year later in the year. Um, but, uh, that, I mean, that's kind of how it's going with um, Tawu is, is a guy that's, you know, on the radar as well as a defensive tackle, but you kind of wonder where he sits when they've got Tashawn Smallwood. And Tashawn Smallwood is about six foot, 285 pounds. He's going to be a one-technique type guy um, that maybe you could shift over and play in the three, you know, here and there because he's quick and he gets up field well. But that's kind of – that's that's that spot right there, and they've got a guy committed at that spot. So uh, perhaps you know that scholarship doesn't open uh, unless Sean Smallwood starts to waver, which is possible. I mean, there's definitely he's going to be a guy that takes his visits. I certainly wouldn't call him a solid uh, verbal commitment right now. Um, so that's a possibility down the line. They also have uh, Michael White, who's uh, the Ju the JUCO um, transfer from East uh, Los Angeles College, and he's six four, three hundred thirty pounds, and probably a guy that's a little more of a one shade as well. I think when you look at Smallwood, you're looking at a guy that's uh, definitely more of a, a Antoine Woods type, whereas uh, Michael Weichs is, is really the three, four prototypical nose guard, the guy that you see uh, like Lewis Nix at Notre Dame or Jesse Williams at Alabama. Those teams that are the three, four teams, whether they're playing a variant three, four, or they're playing a true three, four, 
they tend to have that behemoth nose guard that can attack the center and really clog up the middle of that offensive line just with his mass and his strength. It goes back to Mount Cody when he was playing at Alabama, that enormous guy with good feet. That tends to be what you have in these type of systems. And USC doesn't have that guy. Uh, USC's really never had that guy because they ran a 4-3 and they wanted really smaller, more athletic guys to get upfield in the one gap um, to be able to attack the, 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 the offensive backfield uh, to make plays. With the 3-4 is a little different. Your techniques can be the same, but it's still, I think, different because of the linemen and the type of athletes you have on the line. And prototypically for that defense, you have one of those big 300-pound guys playing over the center. So with White, he's a guy that also plays probably the middle of that defense as well. Another guy that's going to take visits and maybe the process plays out and then opens up a spot. But I think right now USC's really, they've been aggressive in trying to identify guys ahead of time on the defensive line. Edgerone's not messing around. They lost five uh uh, defensive line commits, or I think, what, four defensive line commits? Or maybe it was five. I can't four, even yeah. remember off the top four. of my head. But, I mean, they lost quite a few defensive line commits. Vanderdose, uh, Fitz, um, you know, Prevo, Jason Hatcher. They lost those guys last year and what looked to be maybe the number one defensive line class in the nation. This year they're not waiting to go, okay, we're going to go back east and into the south and recruit these big-time defensive tackles. They're going out there and they're finding guys, whether they're under the radar or not. You know, Smallwood, they were one of the first to offer Smallwood and get on top of him. Um, obviously, with Austin Malata, he was a guy that was you know pretty much under the radar, just came over from Samoa, and now he's you know USC commitment. Uh, same thing with White. Those guys, not big offer guys, not big name guys, but guys that USC feels fits what they want, and they want to get on top of that and get those, get those guys early. And it's probably going to be a much more successful recruiting strategy than waiting for the guys down in the southeast to make their commitment sometime in November, December, and then get you know, left at the altar, which has happened in USC continuously you know, over the past four or five years. Even with Pete Carroll, they love to go down to the southeast and recruit those guys, but they didn't have much success with many of them. Um, all right, let's see. Justin had a couple other questions. Uh, we had a bunch of comparison questions, which is kind of uh, interesting. Some different players. Um, Justin wanted you to compare a, jo- a Dory Jackson to someone else in terms of skills, and Jay Douglas White wanted you to compare a Dory Jackson to Jalen Ramsey. So maybe we can talk a little about a Dory Jackson. Well, Adoree Jackson with Ramsey, two very different types of cornerbacks. Um, you know, Jalen Ramsey was the uber athlete, a guy that's six foot, almost six one, long arms, uh, a guy that, from a profile standpoint, you could look at and think this guy maybe he's a free safety. You know, maybe he's not even a corner. Maybe he's a free safety just because of his size. And then you watch him play, and you see how springy he is, and and how fluid he is in the hips, and and the explosiveness of the lower body. Uh, you see, wow, this guy could be really special as a corner because he has that size and that length. Adore Jackson's not that guy. Adore Jackson is not a long, tall quarterback. He is a smaller, more explosive athlete. Uh, the best comp- comparison with Adore Jackson I can make for USC fans is Nikel Roby. He is a little bigger than Nikel Roby, and he's, I think, better in terms of ball skills than Nikel Roby. I think he's more of a guy that could honestly play the offensive side of the ball, and that's going to be maybe a factor in his recruitment coming down to the wire where some schools are going to say, hey, we can come and bring him in as a wide receiver, and he's obviously done some great things as a wide receiver. I mean, we've filmed several of his games last year and he had big kick returns and he did some things on offense. 
Um, I just think that explosive-wise, quickness-wise, he's about a 10-8, 10-9 guy in the 100 meters. I think he's quicker than he is fast, and I think that means that he's going to be better as a cornerback. But in comparison with a guy like Ramsey, Ramsey's more of the Seattle Seahawks type, you know, six-foot corner, uh, the guy with the big, long wingspan that kind of uh, just out-athletes you. Whereas I think Adore Jackson's a little more of the clever, uh, you know, kind of challenging, instinctual type player that uh, really, you know, has a lot of ways to be coached up and a a lot in terms of technique where he's going to get better and there's a lot more upside there as well. All right. Uh, Justin also wanted to know, do you think USC will wait until signing day to accept more out-of-state commitments, unlike last year? The hope for USC fans would be yes, (laughs) because they don't want to go through the roller coaster of having a bunch of uh, early verbal commitments from out of state and then just watch, you know, all these teams from uh, back east chip away at those commitments. Uh, I think the strategy in terms of looking at that way is proven to be better when you wait, uh, go the way of Nelson Aguilar, where – you know, USC fans had a pretty good idea that USC was probably going to be the school that he'd end up. A lot of people back in Florida thought, no way he would go to USC. Um, but it ended up going that way, and it really was one of those things where it was kept quiet. He stayed off the radar. He didn't do a lot of interviews. And throughout the process, he kind of went through it. And then, you know, on signing day, he announced for USC. USC has had more success with that. Um, even when Pete Carroll was a coach at USC, they had Alshon Jeffrey commit to USC during the summer and they didn't keep him quiet. And he went through the process and he stayed committed to USC, but he was going to take all his official visits. He ended up going to South Carolina and I think maybe Tennessee, a couple SEC schools ended up turning around committing to South Carolina on signing day. So I think in terms of strategy, when you look at the history, the track record, it's definitely better for USC to kind of keep these guys on ice a little bit um, until you start, you know, seeing any kind of really public, uh, you know, interest in, oh, USC is my number one school. I think it's better for USC not to be anybody's number one school, uh, you know, uh, east of Arizona until you get into late January. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's see. Jay Douglas White had a uh, a, a JUCO question. He said, what JUCO players uh, is USC after other than Weish? Uh, Any prospect they could play this fall? Oh, this fall? No, Uh, not to my knowledge. I don't know that they're actually recruiting anybody that would come in this fall. Uh, Michael Weiss is not going to come in this fall either. He's going to be a guy that's going to be a mid-year guy, hopefully. I mean, we've said that before with junior college prospects, um, but a guy that's going to be next January uh, when he's expected to come in. Uh, for USC, there's, there's actually been uh, quite a bit of rumblings on the JUCO circuit. I've, I've heard much more about them being interested in junior college prospects than I have in years past. Um, some names that have popped up, Dominic Jackson is a guy who's a 6'7", 300-pound offensive tackle from USC who uh, evidently just got an, uh, an offer from USC. Uh, he's from San Mateo Junior College and, and looking at UCLA quite a bit as well. Uh, Don Tavius Blair is another guy that uh, USC had offered from uh, Garden City, Kansas. He's a 6'8", 300-pound uh, defensive tackle, or excuse me, offensive tackle. Um, there's been a, a few uh, defensive tackles as well that have popped up uh, on the radar. Um, Claude Pellin uh, is another guy from um, uh, Mesa, Arizona, who's a defensive tackle who got a scholarship offer from USC. I think it's kind of sort of 
right now it's just the trenches and trying to get some guys in there and plug them in. And obviously, like I said, I think the five-two and the change in uh, in in formation in front, you need a little bit of different personnel. They got to get bigger, in my opinion, with the five-two. I think that's just the bottom line. You just got to be bigger. If you look at these teams that are running successful three-four variant defenses. They're huge. They're just big. You've got 330-pound-plus nose guards. You're talking guys 320, 330, uh, sometimes even bigger than that. Uh, you've got defensive ends that are the size of defensive tackles at 280 pounds at least. Uh, look at Notre Dame. I mean, they got two defensive uh, ends that are about 300 pounds. And then you look at your outside linebackers, and those guys are 240, 250. You look at your inside linebackers, those guys are 230, 250. So everybody's just pretty much bigger. It's a bigger front, and it's a run-stopping front because you're putting all your big athletes on the offensive line. And it puts a lot more on your corners and your secondary because those guys are going to end up, um, you know, not getting a lot of uh, a, a lot of man coverage, Um help underneath because you just don't have the guys to really be in man coverage. I mean, you're outside linebackers. If you're Anthony Barr, you really don't want Anthony Barr <laughs> to be locked up uh, one-on-one against, uh, you know, the uh, Anthony Thomas or somebody like that. Whereas if you're a four, three, you can get away with playing zone a little more and maybe even a little bit of man. If you press them with an athletic linebacker, who's a will linebacker and a four, three, obviously against the Anthony Thomas, that's probably a bad example because he's not going to be locked up with <laughs> any linebacker. He's going to probably run by both safeties and, and probably, probably even a few quarters too, but you know, your prototypical, let's say uh, Jonathan Franklin type guy, you know, you don't want your big, uh, you know, 34 outside linebacker against that guy in space. So um, it's a different type of defense. And I think with the junior college uh, recruiting right now, that's kind of what we're getting. We're getting, you know, offensive tackles, offensive linemen are starting to pop up defensive linemen. Um, I think that's probably where USC is looking at the most. I did hear a little talk about maybe some quarterbacks, being recruited, you know, up there in college of San Francisco, um, you know, a few little quarterback names that have popped up and I'm not really sure if it's just, you know, the, the regular recruiting may evaluation, you go into the, to the college, junior colleges and you just see those kids or it's actually, you know, some serious talk, but it would make some sense seeing that USC is kind of in a precarious position with their quarterbacks, depending on what happens with, you know, the naming of a starter for next season uh, is it going to be Cody Kessler? Is USC going to go with the guy that's really been the most efficient in practice and in the scrimmages? Or are they going to go with the guy that's a little more of the prototypical Lane Kiffin quarterback, big arm guy in Max Wittick? And then, you know, if you go with one of those guys, does the other guy transfer? And then if you go with Max Brown, who's the freshman, you, do you risk both those guys transferring? I mean, who, do they want to stick around behind a freshman? It's kind of a weird position. So you could see where maybe uh, from a junior college standpoint, it would be a guy that could come in mid-year and just, you know, maturity-wise and physically-wise could come in and be a guy that could contribute right away than actually going out and trying to get a guy that's uh, a high school guy. At this point, USC's only got one scholarship offer to a quarterback in the 2014 class, and that's to Keller Christ. And that's the only guy. So a lot of people feel like he's probably a lean towards Stanford we'll see what happens there but I mean it, certainly you know you, you, you missed every shot you don't take and at this point they haven't taken a lot of shots at quarterback so we're going to see if that changes uh, during the year alright we'll finish it up with a uh, Dwight Williams question uh, we had a couple people ask about um, why he doesn't have a scholarship offer and JD and DC wanted to know if you could compare Dwight Williams to Michael Hutchins 
No, Michael Hutchings is definitely a bigger, more physical player. Uh, Michael Hutchings, I'm actually really high on. I'm higher on him than probably a lot of recruiting experts were. Um, I actually think uh, myself and Brandon Huffman were the only two guys that really liked Michael Hutchings a lot. I think with Michael, he's just he's got so much room on his frame to grow and to get bigger, and you don't see him losing any athleticism just the way he's built. I think he's a guy that's going to end up being 240 pounds, could play Mike linebacker, uh, could play Will. I think with USC system, regardless of what they do, if they go back to a 4-3, if they stay in the 5-2, he's still going to play inside and he's still going to be really good. Technically sound, smart kid, above average athleticism, and like I said, he's going to get a lot stronger and a lot more powerful. His dad is a bigger guy. Um, I really, really like him at USC and just I think he's a good player all around and, and can do a lot of things for you. It may surprise people with, you know, how early he's able to contribute. Um, I, I think with Dwight Williams, I think he's great if you're running a 4-3 and you need a will and you have time for him to kind of start to develop and you can give him, you know, maybe a year or two and then he starts to come into the system. A guy that cleans up a lot of plays, a backside type guy, a great guy in space, a great guy in coverage. I was kind of talking about that, you know, the difference between a 4-3 outside linebacker and a 3-4 outside linebacker and a guy like Jonathan Franklin. Dwight Williams, you can do that with. You can put him in man against Jonathan Franklin. You can have him go into the flats. You can have him play the curl routes. You can have him play in zone. He's going to be able to help out your corners and your safeties because he's that type of player. But you start to put a 5-2 out there, he's too small to play an outside linebacker in 5-2. He's just, I mean, he's six foot, six one, two hundred five pounds. I mean, those guys just don't exist in those three, four variant systems. So, totally different type of player. I mean, he's a more of a guy like, a, you know, more like a Kaluka Maivea guy uh, coming out of high school. And even Kaluka was a little bigger and thicker than him. Kaluka was more towards 215 pounds, uh, whereas, you know, the David Dwight Williams is still a ways from 215 pounds. Um, you know, he kind of has some similarities to maybe a Quentin Powell, who, who's coming to USC and is, is should be on campus pretty soon. I think he comes in June, though. Uh, most of the kids that are the freshmen are, are, are on campus here, uh, and I think in the next uh, week, actually. Um, but for a guy like Quentin Powell, even 6'2", 220, or excuse me, 205, 208 pounds, and getting north side of 210 pounds probably now, um, he played mostly on the line of scrimmage as a defensive end, though. So he's used to engaging with linemen and tackles and what have you. But size-wise, you kind of question, you know, it's going to take them a while to get into that 230-pound range to where you start to actually be able to play because the biggest difference, 5-2, 3-4, whatever, against the 4-3 is that you are on the line and you have to engage those offensive linemen. And so you have to be strong. You have to get off those blocks because otherwise those guys, you get close to a big, you know, 6-7, 300-pound offensive lineman, he's going to overwhelm you. He's just going to eat you up like a Venus flytrap. So you got to be bigger and stronger to be able to get separation away from those guys so you can actually make a tackle. And a guy like Dwight Williams just is not big enough for that. So where he plays with USC, he has to fit inside. All of a sudden he has to become an inside linebacker. And then you go, okay, how much weight can he put on? How fast? And, and what does his frame like look like it? Uh, you know, comparing him to Michael Hutchings. Hutchings is already in that 220, going to 225 pound range. Like I said, 240 pounds, I think he could be easy, and I think he can play at that weight very comfortably. Whereas Dwight Williams, I don't know if I see Dwight Williams getting more than 225 pounds, maybe. And that's going to be way later down the line, maybe junior year. So different players. I can see why system-wise USC has not offered him a scholarship yet. 
and that's just the way it's got to be. They've got to evaluate him, and they've got to feel comfortable. And I like what they've done on the defensive line. They've gone after guys that they feel fit the requirements that those positions, uh, the standard that those positions need, and not going off of, well, this is one of the top players in California. In a bubble, he's a very talented guy, and we love him, so let's offer him a scholarship. Well, that's in a bubble, man, and you don't play bubbles. You don't, you don't bring guys in and bubbles in your program and go, okay, what are we going to do with this guy? And we don't run the system that he actually fits in. You've you got to really recruit for your system if your system is in place. If you're a new coaching staff and you come in and you've got a roster full of guys, then you go, okay, we've got to kind of you know, be pliable here. We have to be flexible. We have to run with whatever talent we have. But at this point in time, USC's they're committed to a system, and they've got to recruit for that system. All right. Well, Gerard, great stuff. Appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all the knowledge. We got a lot of good, uh, a lot of good recruiting stuff in this podcast. And by the way, just to just to pimp my own article here, oh. um, shamelessly, we did a pretty long manifesto. Like, uh, may I ask, which was a recruiting special on May evaluation questions and questions that were coming up on the recruiting trail. Long in depth talks about 2014 guys that might get offers that should maybe get offers. Um, you're talking about Dwight Williams, talking about uh, certain guys, uh, you know, just specifically even the quarterback position and what USC's doing. Mentioned a few other names. So check that article out. It's definitely probably informative and, and probably backs up more detail what we've talked about a little bit on the, on the podcast today. Sweet. Great stuff. Check it out on uscfootball.com. Again, thanks a lot, Gerard. Thank you. Everyone else, thank you very much for tuning in to this Trojan Blast recruiting edition of the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back with our regular show on Monday. Take care until then. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.